Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Hard Pills podcast, where we are talking about practical insight for racial justice and social change. I'm your host, Andre Henry, singer-songwriter. And what else am I again? Why am I forgetting the other stuff? I'm a singer-songwriter. And an author. Yeah, boom. Boom. (laughs) Hello. Singer-songwriter and author. And for the past several years, I've been on a serious intellectual quest. You would think this is the first time I've done this show. And I'm going to keep this intro just like this for y'all. If this is your first time, welcome. (laughs) For the past several years, I've been on a serious intellectual quest to understand how do ordinary people work together to change the world. And we've had some wonderful guests. And today, we have writer and theologian and author Candice Benbow. Uh, is on the podcast with us again for the second time. Thank you for coming back, Candice. Yes. Yeah, Thank how you, doing? you for having me. I'm so excited. So excited. Oh, it's our pleasure. It is our pleasure. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm gonna apologize in advance if Charlie turns up because he's been he's been quiet for <laughs> a minute. <laughs> is Charlie your dog? Uh, Charlie is my beagle who thinks that the world revolves around him. So I just don't, I'm gonna apologize in advance. <laughs> we keeping it we keeping it real. I'm sure that sometimes I have I, I try to name this in the beginning of the show, but I always I often forget that I live right off of Inglewood Avenue. Oh <laughs> so yeah. it is it is noisy outside. So y'all might also hear the smooth sounds of construction on Inglewood Avenue and all that other kind of stuff. We yeah. real though. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. So Candace, let's talk um, about your book, Red Lip Theology, coming out this month. Yeah. I'm not sure when this part is releasing, but it's it, so it's it's going to be either available for pre-order or out now. Well, out now. Either way, you can get it. <laughs> so either way, it is yours. Yeah, either way, you can get it for the low low price. I don't even remember the the, the price. I just like saying low low. Anyway, um, so Red Lip Theology is 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 a thing now in in print. Um, but yeah. but this is not it's not new though. You've been doing red lip theology for a while. So I wondered if before we talk specifically about the publication of the book, if we could just talk about this concept of red lip theology and your your journey with that and your story with that. Yeah, so um red lip theology became a thing in twenty fifteen. But right before that, so I started Duke Divinity School in twenty twelve. And I was fresh off of like a failed relationship and I had really like let myself go. And my best friend came to visit me and she was just like, I love you, but you do not look like my best friend. Like, like Mm -hmm. we got to get it. We got to get it together. And I couldn't tell her that I really didn't know how, like, like I, I was so... It was it I I I did not have the language then to know that I was I was depressed. Um, but I was. Mm-hmm. I was just really I was depressed and I was feeling defeated and like the only thing that I had working for me was that I was smart and I was in school. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, You gotta make me a promise. She was like, You gonna dress like you got some sense every day mm-hmm. and you gonna you're going to do your face every day. Like you, like you can't mm-hmm. be out here looking like what you've been through. Like you got to make me that promise. So I was like, okay, I can do that. And I was at the same time I was in seminary. I was attending Duke Divinity School. 
So you have me kind of learning how to piece myself back together after these like string of, of failures and then me going through like this this real theological transformation and reformation at the same time. And they they intersected in a way that made sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so there was one, and I was, so I was, I was wearing makeup. I was always like trying to look like I had some sense wearing red lipstick. And so Duke, the way that Duke works is in your MDiv program, you have a black church studies course that's required. Okay. And the way that they put it is they put it in the last year and your last semester. Cause they know. Oh. When you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> and you're ready to go. Uh-huh. Right. So, um, I was taking Black Church Studies courses, of course, throughout my program because they were the dope courses. They were taught by the Black professors. All the Black people was in the class. And we, I want to talk about my, I want to talk about us anyway. Then I want to sit around and talk about some dead white folks. Right, right. So, um, but there was always a moment in class where white people show show their asses and mm-hmm. um, let let us know that they did not want to be in this class. Mm. There was one day where it all came to a head in one class, and I was in the library, and the guy one of one of the white classmates who who was integral in that moment comes in. And the thing that, I don't know, I don't know if all white people do this, but the thing that mm-hmm. they did at Duke was anytime you told them about yourself, themselves, they would always follow up with requesting if you want to go to lunch or get coffee because they want to they wanna make sure that you know that they're not racist. Oh. And, so, and so this particular guy had invited me to like lunch and coffee like 15 times. And I was like, no, I'm not going. So I he saw me in the library and I was like, shit, because now I know like I can't go nowhere. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. intentionally comes and sits at my table. So it's like <laughs> if I get up, I'm gonna look like I got up. <laughs> so I'm mad because now he just got me stuck, right? So he says, So Candace, I have a question. And I was like, oh God. I was like, yes. And he said, you consider yourself a regular theologian or are you a Black liberation theologian? And I'm like, first of all, the disrespect to suggest mm-hmm. that like Black theology is somehow, you know, like this fringe <laughs> that right, is. Right, right not included in the entire theological canon, right? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, like, I wanted to go off and, like, check them, but then, you know, like, as my grandma would say, it's some people you can't shame. So, like, Mm -hmm. there's Mm nothing for you to just waste your time. So I I looked at him and I was like, I'm a red lip theologian. And he said, well, who created that? And I was like, I did just now. And then I got my stuff together and I left. (laughs) <laughs> the moment that I said it, it made so much sense to me and for me because I was somebody who was womanist theology 
was made sense to me and it was authentic to me. It is authentic to me. And at the same time, it felt like it didn't go far enough in in representing sisters like me who are deeply faithful, but we also ratchet and Mm -hmm. we like the church, but we don't rock with it all the time like that. And like, Mm Like we don't see Christ as, or we don't see Christianity as just the full totality of our spiritual development. Like, so mm-hmm. it, there were there were parts of it that just didn't feel like it completely encompassed me. And the moment that I said relic theology, I was able to create kind of this this space that created room. For me to be like, all right, this is this is who I am, and I think it is also it embodies a lot of other sisters like me. Mm, mm. All right, so for, for those of y'all who don't know what womanist theology is, look it up because we're not gonna go into it. Um, but <laughs> we just got to save time here. Um, but I wanted to ask you, so I had to do that because I want to ask you to tease out a little bit of that difference that you were seeing, like, because I was a little surprised when you said you felt like it didn't go far far enough. So where do you feel like it stopped short for you? So I don't, I I think that when I encounter womanist theology, womanist theology really spoke, it it effectively articulated my my mother and my grandmother's generations um mm. engagement with the church and engagement okay. with 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 the faith and the world around them. And part of that is just the function of like my women in my generation, we weren't scholars yet. So we weren't writing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um at the same time though, the younger ones who were coming up weren't necessarily doing a lot of writing outside of what was already being established and said mm-hmm. um, by by older womanists. And so I felt like, wow, like there is this missed opportunity to discuss like sex and sexuality mm-hmm. and um, even and even gender and and yeah. the ways that that younger, I mean, gen from like Gen X and millennial and Gen Z, how we are, how we navigate all of these intersections very differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And and a lot of that has to do with also hip hop and Mm. and being formed both in church spaces and being formed in hip hop and in hip hop culture, right? And Mm -hmm. so feeling like it did not, create that kind of room and so it was like when I when I remember telling one of my friends I was like yeah I was in I was in seminary and I was like we gotta it's gotta go farther than this and Mm -hmm. he asked me he was like have you read you know Monique Moultrie's dissertation and at Mm -hmm. the time I think I think the name of her dissertation the title of her dissertation is between horny and holy Mm. And um, it was about like Juanita Bynum and the No More Sheets moment. And it was about wow. what it to have like a much more progressive womanist sexual ethic. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading it and was like, yes, like this is it. This is what 
you know, what I want and what I need to hear. Yeah. For me, it was, what does it look like for women's theology to encompass my experiences? But then more than that, I was like, how do we create a conversation that is not exclusive? Because in, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, womanist conversations, especially womanist theological conversations, are classed, right? Like oh, because, right, yeah. because you're in the academy. And mm-hmm. so even though it's talking about the the sister that's in the pew who may or may not go to college, may or may not mm-hmm. go to grad school, may or may not go to seminary. It's not like womanist conversations and womanist dialogues are easily and readily accept- accessible to her. Right, right, right. Because they're right. not, right? And so for me, I was like, okay, I don't want to write. And and that was such a pivot because you had women like Renita Weems, who Renita Weems was writing in Essence magazine. Mm-hmm. And she was writing books, trade press books that I remember my mama was like, I remember when my mama would tear out uh, Renita Williams articles and, and her columns and she would tear out um, Susan Taylor's uh, note to the editor and would have them in her purse. Wow. You know, like, um, and, and you would have Renita's books. And like, and so you had this moment where you had someone like her who had made women's theology mainstream, created mm-hmm. and made it mainstream for us. Yeah. But then you didn't have that no more. And for me, I was like, I I'm not interested in writing to white white and so old white men know that I'm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I'm not interested in writing to the academy in that way. Right. Um I know that I need it for my credential and to do certain things, but it doesn't matter to me in the ways that it may matter to other folks. And so then it was like, all right, well then who do you write to? Well, I want to have womanist conversations with black women who are womanist. And so that's really how, what pushed me to move the conversation kind of mainstream, be intentional about mm-hmm. theology being not in the in academic spaces, but being in the spaces and pop and pop culture and and mass media spaces because that's where Black women are are getting it. Right. Yeah. I, it's such a a good point that a lot of these conversations that happen within academia don't leave. You they know, don't. and and how many papers, essays, books, dissertations do you read that you wish more people had access to the information because right? even I like it. <laughs> I'm, I've been reading a certain book. I'm not going to say who it is. I'm not going to call them out, but it's an academic book. And I started that book in 2016. I just finished chapter four like last week. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm just wow. like, why is it so hard to read this? Yeah. So that's, I, I appreciate that. So one thing I wanted to ask you about that you, that you kind of mentioned um, because in this, the story that you told about your friend who was like, you don't look like my friend. I need you to, I need you to do your face and all this kind of stuff. Your book is arranged in kind of a way of you putting your, putting a face on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously that was intentional, but, but why did you choose to kind of uh, highlight this 
this putting on makeup as kind of like a sacred ritual? Because one of the things is that I think that um, for me, that's that's how it. I was able to piece myself together. Mm. I think that we often don't recognize the rituals we experience and, and engage in every day mm-hmm. um, that do something to and for us. Um, mm-hmm. Even so much as just like, I have a friend who drinks her morning coffee by a window and just looks out and mm-hmm. like, she not drinking that cup of coffee nowhere else. She not drinking it on on in her car. Like if 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 it means that she is is gonna be late, mm-hmm. like she just gonna be late because she gonna have her cup of coffee by a window and she's looking out of it. And I remember us talking about it, and I told her I was like, "You made that sacred mm-hmm. because you know that no matter what happens to you." during the day, you can face it because you've centered and you've grounded yourself. Yeah. And so I think too often um, we don't recognize the everyday mm-hmm. mundane things that we've made sacred, that when we take a minute, they're actually holy. Um, mm-hmm. I also wanted to talk about faith in a way that was not cisgender, heterosexual, male dominated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wanted to have a conversation about about faith that did not center cishet Black men or cishet men, period. And I remember we were sitting around, like, thinking about ways to, like, figure it out, like how, how it was going to approach. And at one point, like at one point I was thinking of like playing with the Nicene Creed, mm-hmm. and, like doing some stuff with Nicene Creed and, and lipstick. And I was just like, yeah, black people don't really know. Nicene Creed. <laughs> 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 like, because that felt classed again. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. I am showing, you know, but like, but sisters know eyeliner. Like, this is no lip gloss, you know, yeah. they know what blush is, you know. And yeah. so it was like, all right, so how do I pair the things that that most sisters either use every day or use on important days mm-hmm. and on special days and special occasions? How do I use that? to have these larger conversations around things about salvation and atonement and redemption and grace. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it was a risk because the, the, the truth about, even though I love my publishers, the truth about publishing, particularly Christian publishing is that it's still, it's still white. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so like, this was a conversation I was really having with black women. So like, even to like, construct the course that way, I mean, the book that way was a risk I was taking. Right. Um, and I had to be very clear, like, nah, like, even if y'all don't get it, Black women will. Right. And so um, what's been really dope is the sisters who read it, who got advanced copies um, or who pre-ordered and like they got like the essays, they've been like, yes, like this is so dope. And so they get it and that makes me feel even better. Mm. Yeah, I'm, as you say that, you know, that it was a risk 
you know, when I think of you as a public figure and the way that you were positioned among, you know, if you want to call them religious thinkers or writers or whatever, um, you are kind of unapologetically, uh, what is the word? Like, I I don't know. You stand out, Mm -hmm. right? You stand out unapologetically. (laughs) And part of that, I think, is that like you are adamant that you are a writer and theologian. And I think that that category is also, as you've said, classed, right? Like a lot of people don't have a category for theologian. They think, oh, you're a pastor (laughs) or you're a minister or something in that way. Right. And there's there's a difference. And so I wondered if you might just talk about that. It is something that I really appreciate about about you as well that I want to add, because like I write about this in my book about like I had to just move away from church altogether for a while. And there have been certain people that show me, oh, wait, there are other ways to have a relationship to this. Yeah. And you're one of those people. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Like I I'm very clear. I'm a theologian. Like I can preach. Um, I can preach well, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I have done it before. And if people like I have, I have friends who are pastors who call on me to do it often. And, you know, and, and for them, I, I get in the pulpit, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not mm-hmm. called to preach. I'm also not called to pastor. Like I am yeah. a theologian. It matters to me to think critically and to expound on our relationship with God, God's relationship with us and how that helps to shape how we are to move and think in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And how, how religion, how faith, how spirituality shapes movement in this world. Like Mm -hmm. those are conversations that matter to me. Those are conversations that I am equipped to have. Um, I think too often um, because I'm a woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and because I am not context in a church, Mm -hmm. people think like people, people will automatically and readily dismiss what it is that I do and then they're kind of like, it's like, oh no, I mean, she's, she ain't a preacher. So she didn't, she, she just talking. And it's like, no, like I went to school. Like I said, mm-hmm. in the same classes that, that your pastors did. I sat in the same, I had to write the same papers. I may have even read the suggested readings when your pastor didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I believe in having the, I still, I still have a, a, a close relationship with, with a lot of my friends that I met and colleagues that I met in seminary. And we talk often Mm -hmm. about theology, um, pushing each other and still sharpening each other because Mm -hmm. that matters. Right. And, and I also think like, you know, black women are statistically the most religious demographic in America. Like, Mm. Kaiser study did a study. I mean, Kaiser family did a study. Religion, um, the Pew Religious Data Research, like it says, mm-hmm. that black women are the most religious demographic in America, and yet there are very few black women 
who have platforms to help shape the theology and the spiritual development of other Black women. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was very clear that I was like, all right, like as a writer, I write about my wheelhouses are always going to be health, education, mm-hmm. culture, lifestyle. That's, that's where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, when my books come out, like I, I was very clear that it matters to me to be seen and understood as a theologian. Somebody yeah. who like relative theology does heavy theological lifting. It does mm-hmm. heavy theological work. But I wanted it to be accessible, heavy theological work. Like, mm. you know, like I wanted to talk about eschatology and yeah. and and what it means to to think about the world beyond us, right? And yeah. I wanted to to talk about creation, care, and um, mm-hmm. the first the first chapter for me is literally called "We Are Good Creation." Mm-hmm. And it talks about the conversation about creation care and what it means to care for creation, to see it as this inter this project of interdependence. Mm-hmm. But it also mattered to me to be like black women, we are a part of creation. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it creation care means to also care for us and to right. see ourselves as holy and and so like too often I think we don't um those of us who are not context in church have a harder, have a much more steeper um, climb. I've taken, I mean, I've been writing in public space officially. Like my first blog hit um, in March of 2010. So now, you know, my book is coming out 12 years after my first, Mm. um, you know, and and I took a lot of hits and have continued to take a lot of hits um, yeah. because there's something about people feeling like, oh, well, she's not a part of the church, meaning or she's not doing this work in church, meaning that there isn't a man that can check her because that's really what they're looking for. Wow. Right? Wow. That, like, which, which ends up happening when a pastor disagrees with something that I said if he knows somebody that I'm close to who's another man, he'll like reach out to them and be like, she said da 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 Wow. And, and I'll get it like, I'll get it, you know, third party through the grapevine. Oh but my gosh. But part of it is, is that's what they're looking for. Like, yeah. they want me to be, a, they want me to be connected to a church and doing work through a church so that the moment that I say something that they disagree with, they can go to the pastor. Mm-hmm. And then the pastor, because I represent the church in public, mm-hmm. can tell me, all right, we need you to be quiet. But mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why my mama, it took me so long to realize why my mama was not in support of me being licensed and ordained. Because mm-hmm. that's she knew that. Even if I couldn't see that that's why she was saying it, and even if she couldn't articulate it that way, and she yeah. say, "God is so much bigger than the four walls of the church." Yeah. That's true, and what you have to say for women doesn't deserve to get filtered 
through what men don't want you to say about what it looks like to hold religion and religion accountable. Yeah. And you know what I really appreciate about this? And I feel like you do this in the book as well, as far as I've gotten is, uh, and it's kind of, it's kind of jumbled up in here, but Mm -hmm. a huge part of it that, that I'm, that I'm really appreciating is that a lot of times when people have discussions about black freedom, about racism and stuff like that, it's hyper-focused on cishet black men mm-hmm. and even within blackness, right? Like even as, as black people are talking about these things and even, even when I talk with some black women, it, it can be very hyper-focused on black men. And in a way um, the conversation about how black people have adopted, you know, these uh, different ways of being, behaving, thinking, believing, uh, from colonization, from white supremacy, you know, and just plain old patriarchy right. and how that exists within blackness is a conversation that I don't feel like has been made uh, popular enough. We're not having that conversation right. e- enough in the kind of public space the way that you're talking about, you know, like not, you know, people in academia talk about this, but I mean, it's just not a conversation that's happening. And the church can be such a huge has been such a pillar of support for that. And uh, you're challenging that and and calling, inviting women to black women to to name faith for themselves, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I feel like you're modeling that too, you know? Like there's yeah. some stuff that I'm like, there's some stuff that you might tweet or say, and I'm like, wait, we can do that? I'm like, I don't know, you're not talking to me. I know that's talking to me. That's supposed to be modeling for me, but I do be sitting here like, wait, we can do that? We can do that? Thank you. Because <laughs> I, <think I'm, laughs> I think I'm about to do that. Yeah, you I know, mean, if we can do that. Our faith is supposed to be our own. I think too often we don't, and I talk about this a bit in the book, about the particularities with which we were created and fashioned. Like, God does not give us these particularities and and these nuances and these idiosyncrasies to then call them like these demonic works of the flesh that we got to pray to work over as mm-hmm. as certain theologies will tell us that mm-hmm. that they are but they are these beautiful like individualized imprints that I believe are also supposed to be a part of our faith and and our faith formation and our spiritual development. And I don't think that when you read scripture and it talks about the importance of the mind, it talks -hmm. talks about the importance of critical thinking, right? It talks about about the importance of, of, of honoring who God created you to be. So if that is the case, then I bring my whole self into my faith relationship. What that looks like, what that means, how I live into it. I bring all of that. Does that excuse me from, from, from personal development? Absolutely not. Like the truth is, is when I bring my whole self um, and honor the totality of who I am and bring it to my faith relationship, and and to my spiritual development, that's when I can actually look at myself and be like, all right, girl, like you on one today. And okay. in this area of your life, you need to get this together because you're a hot mess, right? Because truth begets more truth, right? So like if I am already denying parts of me, trying to have 
a full, authentic relationship with the person who created me, where they do that at? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, how, how, how am I going to have any truth and bear any good fruit and have and 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 continue to thrive if that's what my relationships look like? Like, no. Like, I gotta bring all of me because God knows who I am, created me this way. And when I bring all of me, I'm like, oh, like, this is pretty dope. So when I pray, I talk like this. Right, right. I'd be like, that was some bull. And you know it was. And I don't want this to happen again. Yeah. In Jesus' name I pray. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it, it's, uh, it is, for me, there has been so much freedom. I have found so much thriving. That's why, that's why, and I, don't even, I know we're not even talking about this, but that's why it's always funny to me when people get on Twitter or on or on TikTok and all these mm-hmm. other places and start demonizing deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, y'all got y'all must have the most constipated faith mm-hmm. that like <laughs> y'all are just bound because there is such like you should be encouraging deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? If you are honoring the God who is everywhere and who created all things. When scripture is like, if I ascend to the heavens, you there. Mm-hmm. If I make my bed in hell, you there. If mm-hmm. I like trip in the middle of the ocean and mm-hmm. I'm like swimming with the dolphins, I know they mm-hmm. say it's more prettier in scripture, <laughs> but you there too. Yeah. So if there is nowhere that we are that God and spirit are not, mm-hmm. then why are you so fearful right. of people deconstructing faith? Right. Well, I mean, we know why, right? Because right? a lot of the a lot of the people who are having this conversation are white, powerful mm-hmm. Christian men, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and we know that they inherited that faith from white colonizers and they and they want us to keep on, you know, staying within the lines that they've drawn for us. Yep. And, you know, that actually does tie in perfectly to something I wanted to ask you, because, you know, Dante Stewart, you know, we're all friends with Dante and Dante was on the show a few weeks ago. And I posted a clip or a quote from that interview and. We got some feedback, which, by the way, y'all listening, we're going to start reading feedback on the podcast. So you can Uh-oh. you can send us, you can send me your feedback about episodes. I might respond to it. I might respond to your question. But I don't know if we're going to give it away for free, though. You might have to be on Patreon to get the yeah. feedback portion. Yeah. Um, but just just so y'all know, I'm playing around with that idea. Anyway, so, you know, um, I, I think that this commenter was sincere or else I wouldn't be mentioning them. If I thought they were a troll, I'd just ignore them. But I, I think that, you know, this this black woman was responding and basically saying, why, why don't we? Because Dante, obviously, he's wrestling in his book with yeah. being black and young and Christian. And so she's like, well, why don't we just throw the whole thing away? Which I understand, y'all. I get that. <laughs> you know, like, why not just not have anything to do with the faith that has caused so much harm? And um, I wanted to ask you, how do you hold these things together? Because you speak with just so much... Um, I don't want to, it's, it's not certainty, but there is a certain, there's a certain way in which you talk about faith where like you are Christian, like very much like mm-hmm. a Christian theologian, a black woman, 
mm-hmm. not committed to being in church necessarily, mm-hmm. not doing it the way that, you know, a lot of people would expect you to do on either side, right? right. So. Right. I'm sitting here listening and I'm like, yeah, there are a bunch of people who don't rock with the church at all. And they'd be like, why are we even talking about this? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, Andre, why are you even having this pod- Why are you even having this conversation mm-hmm. on a racial justice, po- justice podcast? And I'm like, we're talking about black people. We can't talk about black right. people and black freedom without talking about the church. church. And then there are people who are in church who are like, well, well, I think that you should be dressing this way. And I think that mm-hmm. you, should, you shouldn't be asking these questions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how are you going to say that? <laughs> Uh, you love sin too much to be a pastor. That's my favorite thing to say. <laughs> I remember that because I remember someone giving me so much hell one day for saying, there was a quote that says, I love to sin, God loves to forgive. Is it mm-hmm. the universe oh, I love it. Rain, right? I love it. Right? And so I was like, and I quoted that, I got in so much trouble. So when you posted that you love sin too much to be a pastor, I was like, it just, you know, brought back memories. Anyway. That was a lot to, you know, kind of bring context to that question. But how do you hold these things together where you are committed to a sort of Christian faith, knowing how violent Christianity has been and continues to be toward Black people? Yeah, um, I tell people all the time, my faith is rooted in three things, the teachings of Jesus, the wisdom of my ancestors, and the power of Black womanhood. Um, all of those things work in concert um, to to form my faith, my faith life and my spiritual, my spirituality um, and being rooted in the teachings of Jesus helped me to be very clear about what is Christ and what is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so following a man who held people accountable when they did not, when they did harm helps me to be able to be like, "Uh uh-uh, y'all are doing this in his name and it's a hot mess, but this ain't him, right? Like, and I think think that that again is why it matters to have a personal relationship in which you you do critical critical study and critical reading of the text, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and, and I can say I was a critical reader of the Bible before I went to to um to seminary like I would I remember so my mama used to make we used to go to bible study and my mama used to make me write the questions that I had on a piece of paper before mm-hmm. I raised my hand because she would be like to 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 see if I could ask all of those questions mm-hmm. because I remember one time I was like if you keep, if we keep saying I am the way to, that Jesus says I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but except by me, and we're saying that Christianity is the only way to God, I distinctly as remember asking my mama, then why did God give Hagar a promise that He was going to take care, that God's going to take care of her and and Ishmael? I was mm-hmm. like, that doesn't make sense because. Right. He also said, I'm going to make of Ishmael a great nation. Right, so right. so why are we saying, you know what I'm saying, that that Christianity is the only way? Hmm. And my mom was like, go to sleep, take a nap. Like, huh. it, was, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a question that, I mean, she was ready for like, a, I was in middle school at the time, right? And so, um, so I was always critically reading. The other part is because, like I say, the wisdom of my ancestors and the power of Black womanhood, 
I know I know what it means for God to be real mm. because of the family that I come from, the testimonies that I've heard, and the way that 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 it has worked in my life itself, right? Like scripture talks about like that I might know him, you know, like I know God. Like and so and I know how spirit has moved. I know that Christ intercedes for me, right? And so so there's a knowing that even the worst that is done in his name cannot undo for me. Mm. And I hold to that, right? I also hold to like that this is that this is a guy who knows that I'm gonna pop off when I feel like <laughs> popping off, right? Um, and this is a guy who knows that I, I might wake up one day and be like, "All right, God, I did a lot yesterday, um, so it helped me to be quiet today," <laughs> you know, like and and I believe that those prayers are honored. So, so I never feel as though I cannot have the faith that my grandma had, the relationship with God that my grandma and my mama had. Like mm-hmm. it becomes mine and it and it becomes special to me. But the same God that the same God that saw my mama through a pregnancy and a broken heart and allow her to spend 33 years with her daughter. And the same God that that has found ways to to answer prayers that my mama prayed for me on this side and the other side, I would be a fool not to honor that relationship with that God and make that one my own um, and lean into it in ways that that deeply move me. Hmm. I would be crazy. And I, and I, and that's why I try to help sisters to to get to is like cut all the noise of everybody telling you how to do this. Cut all of that. Like mm-hmm. what even if you gotta even if you gotta turn me off for a minute, right? What do you know to be true for you? Right. Not what everybody else is telling you needs to be true. What do you know to be, even if you can't articulate it because the people around you might think that you're crazy or the people around you might be like, well, what she meant was, no. Uh What do you know to be true for you? Yeah. Stand on that. Stand Mm -hmm. on that and and rest in that because that is holy, fertile ground. Mm -hmm. And that knowing is where you always meet God. And in that knowing is where you will always find yourself. Like that is the message and the hope that Red Lip Theology and every other book that I write and every piece that I write and every situation I get that is around it is that like lean into that knowing because that's where you always gonna know God and find God and that's always where you gonna find yourself. Beautiful. Well, Candice, I kept you much longer than intended. And uh, we do love we love to talk. <laughs> yeah. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing. Thank um, you. Everyone listening. The book is Red Lip Theology. You can get it wherever books are sold. Mm-hmm. Um, and please do that. Do that today. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, Candace, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you heard and you haven't already, please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Also, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts helps us get into more ears and minds. You can find all the links in the show notes for today's guest, as well as Andre's newsletter, Patreon, and book. You can connect with Andre on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TheAndreHenry. That's all for this episode of the Hope and Hard Pills podcast. We'll see you next time.